Solomon is credited with three Old Testament books. The first one is Proverbs, which is a collection of wise principles and precepts, which is worth reading uh, on a regular basis, I might add. Uh, the second one is the Song of Songs, or sometimes called the Song of Solomon, uh, which is an intimate look at romance, love, and marriage from the perspective of the king and his beautiful bride, which relates to Christ in the New Testament and his love for his bride, the church. And then there's the third one, Ecclesiastes. This is the last of Solomon's writings, written most likely as the reflections of an older and wiser man as he glances back over his past. It's the book I want us to focus on this morning. Because I know of no other book that deals with the harsh realities of, of this world better than the book of Ecclesiastes, folks. Now, it's not a pessimistic view of life like some people suggest. This is simply a straightforward, take-no-prisoners approach to what really matters and what's really important. Uh, the, the book of, uh, of Ecclesiastes is filled with wise counsel on how to live. Poetically beautiful passages like the one that we just sang here a few minutes ago that uh, the birds made popular so many years ago. Uh, great proverbial statements and the most poignant conclusion as to why we exist in this world to begin with. All of that is in the book of Ecclesiastes. I suspect if we could take a poll this morning as to what is the most famous phrase out of the book, most people would say, oh, that's easy. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Or as some of the newer translations word it, empty or meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. Or emptiness, emptiness, all is emptiness. Well, that's probably the most recognizable phrase, but it's not my favorite. My favorite is the one that Solomon uses to describe futile activity in life with these simple words, a chasing after the wind. I like that. Chasing after the wind. The phrase occurs nine times in the book of Ecclesiastes as Solomon keeps coming back to that theme of futility. We read it for the first time in chapter 1, verse 14. Solomon says, I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. So this morning, instead of spending our time chasing the wind, may I suggest some priorities that we ought to pursue. Here's the first one. Invest your life carefully. Invest your life carefully. Now notice, by carefully, I do not mean cautiously or timidly. By carefully, I mean that we should invest our lives with thought and purpose and intention. Can I tell you that Terry and Amy Ruff, who you met a little bit earlier in the service, they went to, to, to Ghana with, a, with careful thoughts. They, they didn't go without caution. I mean, they didn't go timidly. They went with great intentionality and purpose, having thought through the whole scheme. Now, the old expression says, if you aim at nothing, you are bound to hit it. I know a lot of people go after like life. They are swatting mosquitoes. When all the slapping is over, they're still standing in the same place but they're sore and exhausted from the activity. You see, God doesn't want us wasting our lives on futile and senseless endeavors, like we're just simply slapping at things going on around us. He has gifted us to make a genuine difference, and that's what we need to do. So consider Solomon's advice, and it begins in chapter 1. He just kind of leads us down this trail to the very end when he draws an important conclusion. In chapter 1, Solomon says that we need to look at to something more than education. Now, now, hear me quickly. I will be the first person to say, 
Learn everything you can. Knowledge is incredibly important. Study hard. Make the most of the brain that God gave you. But, but just remember that knowledge by itself has its limitations. We have an incredible wealth of knowledge at our fingertips through the internet today. More knowledge available to us than we've ever had in all of human history. Are you aware of the fact that some PhD programs are obsolete in as few as three years? Because of the amount and the wealth of information that is available to us. But knowledge in the wrong hands can be a scary thing. Uh, who among us isn't afraid that someone will breach the computer fail-safe and make off with our personal information and our social security number and, and steal our identity. That's a scary thing today. Here's something else that's scary. We also are, are fearful to contemplate those nations who want to flex their muscles and have nothing to lose as a result of it because some of those nations will soon have the capacity to build nuclear warheads. Knowledge is good, but knowledge in the wrong hands can be a frightful, dangerous thing. So, which, which brings us to this point. Knowledge alone is a chasing after the wind because it cannot direct the human heart toward the good. Now, knowledge with a few other things can, but by itself it can't. And so just gaining knowledge is a chasing after the wind. In the first half of chapter 2, Solomon says to look to something more than taking on endless projects. Solomon reached a point in his life where he thought, okay, my life is going to be filled with things to do. The more I do and accomplish, the more satisfied I'm going to be, okay? And so Solomon begins all these projects. He built massive, beautiful buildings, planted vineyards and gardens and parks with reservoirs and groves of trees. He increased his flocks and herds and accumulated more gold and silver. He increased the size of his harem, added choirs and servants to the palace staff, and then he even explored the idea, I'm only going to do those things that are fun. I'm only going to allow myself to enjoy the pleasures of this world. And he tried that too. If he wanted it, he bought it. If he thought it, he built it. There was nothing he left untried. And this is his conclusion in verse 11. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Folks, there's, there's nothing wrong with projects and pleasure. As a matter of fact, we take on some great projects around here. Well, we're involved with the Habitat Build on the west side of town. We've just finished a CareFest weekend. We've, we participate with Backstreet Mission. Uh, we've been involved in a clothing drive. We've had the back-to-school backpacks. We've had the pumpkin patch. You go down the list. There are all kinds of projects that we are doing that are wonderful projects. As for pleasure, who among us doesn't want some joy, some relaxation to, to free up the stress in our lives? There's nothing wrong with that. But projects, no matter how noble and pleasure, no matter how much joy it brings, alone cannot change the human heart and mind. By itself, projects and pleasure are a chasing after the wind. In the second half of chapter 2, Solomon says to look to something more than hard work. Now, I remember an often repeated saying growing up, hard work never killed anybody. Did you ever hear that? 
I usually heard it when I was dwaddling with a task that needed to be done. Hard work never killed anybody. I have no statistics to bear up whether that is true or not true this morning, but I know a lot of people who live by that particular principle. And, and can I say, hard work is a good thing. Work is a gift from God. Even in the Garden of Eden, where everything was perfect, Adam and Eve worked. They were caretakers of the garden. That was a gift from God. Hard work is a virtue. We ought to apply ourselves to our jobs with an attitude that we are working for God. Give your best efforts to your employer because he or she deserves your best efforts. They are paying you a wage for a job to be done. Now do your best, and you offer that also up as an act of worship to God. I enjoy work, don't you? Can you imagine not having anything purposeful to do. I mean, I enjoy work. There's days when I wish I wasn't working. I mean, we all have those kinds of days, but for the most part, I enjoy working. As a matter of fact, I've tried to think that somewhere down the road when I retire someday, what am I going to do? Is there something that I can do? And this week, I think I found what I'm going to do. I read that there are 50 to 70 million Americans who suffer with sleep disorders. 50 to 70 million who deal with insomnia. I've got decades of sermon CDs. <laughs> at, at a dime apiece, sell 50 million, I am set for the rest of my life. I can kill two birds with one stone, help people sleep better, and have a job in retirement. Well, listen to Solomon's conclusion in verses 21 and 23. For a man may do his work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then he must leave all he owns to someone who has not worked for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labors under the sun? All his, day he, all of, all his days his work is pain and grief. Even at night his mind does not rest. This too is meaningless. Work is a good thing, but no matter how hard you work, work alone will not satisfy, nor can it change the heart and the mind of a man or a woman. Besides, if you work hard all your life, amassing wealth and doing projects, one of these days you're going to die, and everything that you own will pass to someone else, and that someone else may not care one bit for everything you've done. And that will be a chasing after the wind. I know a farmer, not, not from this area, but I know a farmer. He's a good man. Um, he has a big farm. He's in his mid-80s, and he's still buying up farm ground like he was just getting started as a farmer. And I, I look at that, and I'm puzzled, and I'm thinking, why at this stage in his life is he still doing this? Because I know his kids. And, and, and when he leaves this world, I, I suspect they'll sell every acre that he owns. Somehow it just seems like a chasing after the wind. Well, you say a man has to keep up with his neighbors, you know. I mean, after all, you can't let the world pass you by a bigger house, a better position with the company, more community boards to serve on upward, upward, upward. You know what I mean? Yeah. Solomon speaks to that chapter 4, verse 4. Then I observe that most people are motivated to success by their envy of their neighbors. But this, too, is meaningless, like a chasing after the wind. Oh, well, 
I guess if that's the case, then I'll just sit back and not do anything. I'll just let life go by and, and not worry about it. Is that, is that what I should do? No. Solomon has something to say about that as well. Verses 5 and 6, the fool folds his hands and ruins himself. In other words, the fool says, I'm not going to do anything. He just sits there, lets life go by, ruins himself. Better is one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. You see, those who just stop, who become apathetic and indifferent and complacent, those who drop out of the rat race to sponge off the human race have not found the answer either. The New Testament reminds us that the man who does not provide for the needs of his family is worse than an unbeliever. And so, as, as a matter of fact, if you stop and do nothing, you're just as guilty as, and as irresponsible as those who are out of control with their knowledge-gaining, project-driving, pleasure-seeking uh, desires. You see, both, both polar extremes are bad. Solomon says you, you, you can work too hard, but then you can not work hard enough. And I love verse 6. It says, better is one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Folks, the answer is not in ceaseless work or ceasing to work. It's finding a sense of balance, a sense of contentment regardless of the circumstances. And the Hebrew word here that is translated tranquility is actually the word quietness. One handful of quietness is better than two fistfuls of clawing, scraping, striving, shoving, and struggling all the way to the top. Here's Solomon, who had everything, who did everything. And he says, less with contentment is better than more with strife. Do you see what he's doing in these early chapters? He's building his basis for the conclusion that comes in chapter 12. He's reviewing everything that he has done throughout his life and drawing conclusions about them. And what makes this book so powerful is the fact that there was never a richer or wiser or more powerful king uh, or person that we know of in the Bible. He had it all, did it all, built it all, bought it all. There wasn't anything that was available to him that he didn't try. The things that you and I will never have the opportunity to do, he did. And this is his conclusion. And he brings us to chapter 12, which brings us to this second goal to pursue, and it's simply this, grow old wisely. Have you ever noticed how runners look at the beginning of a marathon? They are fresh. They are excited. They are pumped with energy. Have you seen those same runners at mile marker 25 of a marathon? They look exhausted. And it is sheer determination that gets them to the end. Life is like that. As the race progresses, the body wearies, and it is by sheer determination that we eventually cross the line. When Solomon writes Ecclesiastes, he's at mile marker 25 in his own personal marathon. And so listen to what he has to say in his concluding chapter. Verse 1 of chapter 12. Remember your creators in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Remember your creator. The word remember is a word that means to take decisive action on behalf of. It's not like just, oh, I don't want to forget God. It's that you take action to make sure that God is the priority of your life. And if you start when you're young, he may be the vital priority of your life when you get old. It's a funny thing I've noticed. 
I've seen people who, when they started out with God early on in their life, they are enthusiastic about serving God, and they're doing this. And somewhere along the way, I don't know if it's the aging process or what, they grow weary, and God ceases to be the priority, and they get wrapped up in other things. And Solomon says, if you don't start when you're young, you for sure won't have it when you get older. So start now. Statistically speaking, the longer you put off deciding to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, the odds are that you never will. When you do it as a young person, it builds a foundation that will last. But the longer you put it off, you may never get it done. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth because you see Solomon's own story is a tragic one. He brought in all of these wives who were pagan and from other nations and they brought with them all their paganism and all their idolatry and it pulled Solomon away from God and some think that he never did return. I think that Ecclesiastes is his returning story. When he comes down to the very end, I think this was in his golden years, his reflection that says, I messed up all of my life. Now I've got it. Now I know what the end is supposed to look like and the purpose of our life up until the ending chapter. His story, Solomon's, has been a chasing after the wind. And so he goes through this priceless description of aging. This to me is one of the most beautiful pictures of aging I've ever read anywhere. Verse 2 says, remember your creator before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. Uh, that, that's what happens when the mind ages. It becomes foggy and unclear, and you're, you're caught in this kind of uh, area where you can't think, and you, you can't make things straight. The synapses don't fire like they once fired. That's the mind as it ages. Verse 3, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, the keepers of the house are the hands, and you see in older people sometimes they tremble or their knees are bowed because their legs can't support the weight of their body and the keepers stoop. Uh, when the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim. The grinders are the teeth when, uh, when, when they wear down or when they go missing. Uh, you know, you, you don't eat very well. And the windows are, are the eyes. And in Solomon's time, you know, as, as the eyes aged, there was nothing they could do about cataracts and that kind of thing and eye disease and blindness was common at that time. Verse 4, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, that's when the hearing goes, when you can't hear things anymore. My left ear has lost a good portion of its ability to hear. So conversations have uh, begun to suffer uh, as a result of that. The other day, Elsie and I were in our kitchen, and I happened to be standing next to a box of grapes on the floor that we were getting ready to fix, and I said, oh, look, I've got something on my pants. And she's surprised. She, she answered, she said, well, I'm not surprised. And, and that's not like Elsie. It's not the thing she would normally say. And so I was kind of caught off guard, and, and I, I looked at her, and I said, well, why are you not surprised? And she said, well, you're standing right next to the grapes. And I said, well, what about the grapes? Well, that's probably where they came from. Who's they? The ants. What ants? The ants you saw. I didn't see any ants. You said, oh, look, I see ants. I said, no. I said, oh, look, I've got something on my pants. <laughs> I have never had a more confusing conversation with my wife in all the years that we've been married. There was frustration in both of our faces. And then when we figured it out, there was a lot of laughter. <laughs> I don't like this hearing business going bad. 
Verse 4, when men rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint. That's the sleepless and restless nights that often accompany our aging process. When men are afraid of heights and dangers in the streets, worries and anxieties build with the passing of years. When the almond tree blossoms, it blossoms white. That's the white hair on the top of our heads. And the grasshopper drags himself along and desire is no longer stirred. That describes the point in time when we pass the ability to give birth to children and reproduce ourselves in this world. Verse 5, then man goes to his eternal home and mourners go about the street. Eventually we give way to death. So, Solomon says, make sure you're not chasing the wind. I read these words of the aging process with more understanding every passing year. When I was a young man, I vowed that I would never talk about medical tests and procedures. <laughs> that, that promise has been shattered in the dust of the earth for a long time. I keep having these junior moments when I cannot recall a word or a name or an event. I know what the problem is. I just don't like to admit it. But then after all, there are some good things that come along with aging. There are grandchildren. And then there's well, there's, um, <laughs> there's grandchildren that come along with aging, and, and things aren't quite so bad. But other than that, I'm a little stymied to think of what else is there about this process. <laughs> Here's the goal. The goal is through the aging process, do not let down your guard. Stay positive. Keep smiling. Keep laughing. Because even though aging is not for wimpy people, your attitude may make a difference in the lives of those who are coming behind you. <laughs> I've always enjoyed the story of the guy who sat in the back row of the opera and fell in love with the aging opera singer. Oh my goodness, she had a voice like an angel. Whenever she sang, his heart just soared, and he just knew she was the woman for his life. She was the woman of his dreams. Now, she was older than he, but he didn't think I was too bad, although he had only seen her from a distance. And so he emailed a proposal to her, and it was a fast, frenetic uh, romance over the internet lines because of all of her traveling. And finally, they got married, and when they came to their first night and began to retire for the evening, he looked on with great dismay as she took off her beautiful hair and placed it on her nightstand, <laughs> slid her dentures into a glass of effort connected her hearing aids to the charger, cleaned off her glass eye, swallowed 14 pills, and then used up a whole tube of Ben Gay. <laughs> she turned to her groom and smiled that toothless smile, and he simply said, sing, sweetheart. For heaven's sake, <laughs> sing. Aging is not easy, but we're all headed there. Solemn discovered that it is more challenging to keep the faith as time passes, so you have to work on it every day. Here's the conclusion and the last of your goals. Here's the last goal. Fulfill your duty faithfully. Verse 13, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. What a succinct, powerful conclusion. Everything has been heard. Here it is. Fear God and keep His commandments. That's our whole duty. Fear God as in loving Him with all your heart and maintaining this reverent respect for the Almighty. 
Fear does not mean that God is some monster who's just waiting to stomp you flat. That's not the right kind of fear. But then neither is God your buddy or the old man upstairs. He deserves our loving, reverent respect as you would give to a caring earthly father. So much more to your heavenly father. Fear God, love him reverently, and keep his commandments. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Why? Because obedience is an expression of love. There it is, simply put. He said, that's our whole duty if you get that straight, if you get that as your top priority. Everything else will fall into place. Bottom line, some of you here this morning have been chasing the wind all of your life. You just keep investing all of your time, energy, and resources into those things that in the long run won't matter. You're betting your eternity on the odds that you've got plenty of time to get right with God. And I'm here to tell you, if you believe that, you are playing the fool. You don't know that you have anything beyond this moment Solomon says, get with the program early on. Don't wait till you become old in your youth. Some of you say, you're not young anymore. Well, start now. Don't wait. Don't waste any more time. If you are putting off your relationship with Jesus Christ, you are chasing the wind. And when the end comes, that's all you have. The rustling of the blowing wind through an empty life. Fear God. Keep his commandments. That is the purpose of life. Never lose sight of where you're headed so that you stay true to your faith. I always enjoy the stories that come out of the Olympics. As a matter of fact, I'm excited about the Winter Olympics coming up just around the corner here after the first of the year. But back in 2000, in the Summer Olympics, in Sydney, Australia, a young lady by the name of Marla Runyon was a runner for the U.S. team. Now, the interesting thing about Marla is she didn't, she didn't come home with the medal, but I think she came home a winner. Uh, for the 22 years of her life at that point in time, she was considered legally blind. And you say, how does a blind person qualify as a runner on the Olympic team? Oh, well, Marla can't see color. All she can see is kind of a fuzzy blob, and she said that she would just follow as the blob went around the track. And in a television interview, she made the observation that the real difficulty was in rounding the final turn and racing toward a finish line that she could not see. But then she said, however, I know where it is. I thought, what a grand description of the Christian life. In life, we cannot see the finish line, but we know where it is, and we know who is waiting to welcome us home. Don't you chase the wind any longer. Today, make Jesus Christ your Savior.